ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, guide and lead us, show us what you would like us to see from this section, and we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, we're in Jeremiah chapter 2, we're going to be starting at verse 31. Jeremiah is continuing his message to Judah about how far they have backslidden, and he's going to continue this through these chapters. So verse 31. O generation, see you the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore say, my people, we are lords, we have come no more unto you. Can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why trim you your way to seek love? Therefore have you taught, also taught the wicked ones your ways. Also in your skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with him, because you say, I have not sinned. Why gaddest thou about so much to change your ways? You also shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. Yea, you shall go forth upon him and upon hands upon your head, for the Lord has rejected your confidence, and you shall not prosper in them. So here we have God talking more about, it says, O generation, consider, you know, which is the C, consider. Consider this, what he's going to say. He says, consider the word of the Lord. And this is something I am finding so much, as we as Christians get in there, do we oftentimes forget the word of the Lord in our situation? I heard on the radio just the other day, they were talking about a survey of, of Christian parents. And it said only 10% of the Christian parents said they use the Bible as the guidepost for raising their children. And I'm going, okay, where are these Christians coming from if they're not using scripture to ruin, to run their life? And you know, but it's not just that one area. How many times do Christians ignore God's word for the ways of the world? And this is why it's so hard sometimes for us to even get good counsel. You go talk to somebody and they give you good worldly counsel. Sounds good. The flesh wants to eat it up. You know, uh, well, I think you should leave your, leave your spouse because they have been mistreating you so bad. And, you know, it's, it's the way, just the way of the world. You, you fall out of love and you just give up. Well, that is not godly counsel. Now, now, if somebody's being beat or abused, then yes, you separate you know, and, and get, get counseling. But you don't give up just because times are hard. God says, I hate divorce. He says that we're to stay together. You know, and it's not just that. There's all kinds of places where we look into how do we handle ourselves? How do we handle ourselves in the business world? All right. You know, the world will tell us, well, do as little as you can get away with. If your boss isn't watching, then it's no big deal. You can, you just do as little as possible, get as big a paycheck as you can without, <laughs> without working hard. God says that we are to work as unto him, not as unto the boss. And we look at the difference between that and how many times you get this counsel. Well, the boss isn't there, just, you know, slack off. You know, it's no big deal. Nobody cares. Just 
go do your own thing. Consider the word of the Lord. It's so critical in all that we do. How we raise our kids, how we work, how we handle our finances, how we handle our marriage, how we handle every aspect of our life. Consider God's word. And here he says, consider the word. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? He says, wilderness. He goes, am I someplace that you're not getting anything out of it? You know, I, he's God saying, am I dark? You know, if I put you into darkness, if I put you into a dry, barren place where you haven't been fed? <laughs> now, these are his questions to the people. What have I done for you? You know, and his question is, you know, have I been so mistreating you? <laughs> because these are the things he's talking about. You know, I haven't treated you well. It's, you're, you're hungry. You're, you're, you're thirsty. Uh, it's barren. There's no light for you. And that's his question. It's rhetorical, obviously, because he's going, the answer is, no, I haven't. <laughs> uh, and, then they, and then he goes, my, wherefore, my people say, we are wanderers rather than lords in the, in the Hebrew. We are wanderers. We will come no more unto you. So they wander around. They're going, God, and they're saying, yeah, hey, we don't care about what you want. We are, we are our own people. We are our own masters. We're not under your rule. Now, they would never admit that that's what they have said, <laughs> just as most Christians won't admit when they're following away from God, doing their own thing and not, and not listening to godly counsel. They're, but he's say, they're saying, we're just, we're just wanderers. We're trying, to find out, we're trying to find out who we are. You know, I'm just trying to find out who I am. You know, just don't give me any rules, and I'll eventually figure out who I am. Well, I can tell you who you are. If that's what you're following, you are a lost sinner headed for hell and trouble because that is what our nature is going to take us in. Uh, yes. Uh, so this is the whole thing that he's looking at. If we're trying to wander around finding ourselves without God, we're in trouble. Then we will end up in the barren darkness but not because God is barren and dark, but because we have chosen barren and darkness. So, and this is the thing about it. We can choose what we want, but we cannot choose the consequences for what we're, what we're going to get. We can choose to do whatever we want, godly or not godly, but we cannot choose the consequences that result from that choice. God chooses the consequences. And a lot of the consequences are just the standard sowing and reaping. We sow evil, we will reap evil in return. And God says, that is, you got your consequences. And this is very important for us to always remember. We can do what feels good to us and end up in darkness and barrenness, or we can do what God says, which doesn't feel good all the time, but end up on the other side in light and fertile land. And this is his question. You know, am I dark? Have I been darkness? Am I, am I barren? He goes, you guys are saying that you're wanderers. And then he goes, and it's very interesting. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a virgin? Can a virgin forget her ornaments? In other words, her jewelry, her decorations, the things that, her, her makeup. And in many cases, the answer is no. <laughs> All right. Uh, so he's going, 
that doesn't happen. And then, can a bride her attire, her wedding gown, her wedding veils and everything? Uh, you know, if somebody, if a bride was to come down from the back of the church <laughs> in blue jeans and a sweatshirt, <laughs> after months of preparation, everybody would be like, what is going on? <laughs> now, that might happen. I mean, I'm not going to say it never happens, but in general, if you're in, a, in that church and you've made this big plan, they're going to come down a little better dressed <laughs> than blue jeans and a t-shirt. Uh, this is a big day, and this is what he's saying. You know, they're going to come fully attired, ready for this day. And he's making this uh, statement to them, yet my people have forgotten, and this means to put away my, uh, put away me days without number. Not just once a while. You know, it's not something that one day they, you know, they forget to follow God. Days without number. This is a continual thing. They're ignoring God. Doing everything against what he says. And this is what people will say oftentimes. Well, you know, you Christians are a bunch of, well, yes, we fail once in a while. But if somebody is always failing in a certain area, then we're falling into this days without number of, of forgetting God. And we need to be kind of like, uh, maybe I have a problem. <laughs> and this is God's accusation against his people. He goes, you know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and yet you constantly are not following God. And yet they will say they're, yet they will say they're God's people. And that's still what they do to this day in, in Israel. Many of the people of Israel are basically atheists, but they'll tell you that they're in, God's, they're in the land that God gave them. But they'll tell you also that they're atheists. They don't believe in God. They, they have this crazy thought process because they're not remembering all about God. They're remembering that this was the land that was given to Abraham by God, but they don't believe in God. And I don't understand how people can have this dichotomy of thought, but I've seen it so much, even in our day, the more we get away from absolute truth, the more we see people that can believe two diametrically opposed positions at the same time. Now, it's really cold out there, but the sun was shining real hot. And believe both of them. And you'll ask them, which one's true? Both. Well, how could it be cold and hot at the same time? Well, I don't know, but it sure is. You know, and it is just bizarre the things that people will say when you take a moment just to listen to what they're saying. You know, they will tell you that life is important, but they will say, let's go, let's go abort this child because it's not life. Well, I don't know. Heart's beating, blood's pumping, totally different uh, DNA streams in it, uh, feels pain. Uh, sure sounds like something alive to me. And yet, they won't recognize it because it goes against what makes them feel good. And we need to be able to say, God, what do you say about these things? What do you say and fall into his point of view? And it is easy because the world tells us constantly, yells at us, false facts. And the sad thing about it is if you hear a lie often enough and loud enough, you start to believe the lie 
You know, at first you go, well, no, there's that. It's not, not even true. But you start hearing it over and over and over and over again. And it starts to wear you down if you're not very careful, which is why we must be in God's word knowing his thoughts because the world is constantly lying to us. And the problem is those lies of the world appeal to our flesh. And the flesh goes, sure sounds good to me. I like that idea. You know, this God stuff is hard to, hard to handle. It means I have to be crucified and die. I like the world stuff. It builds me up. It makes me feel good. And if we're not very careful, then we fall into line with the world's way of thinking. And this is why it's important to get into his word, pray, get good godly counsel, follow God's ways in all things, and let the flesh be crucified and walk with God. Otherwise, we end up with this forgetting, forgetting our attire, forgetting all these things, forgetting God, and almost feeling good about it. Because my flesh feels real good. It's not, I'm not happy. It doesn't bring me satisfaction, but the flesh feels real good. It's being built up. It's being edified. It's being fed. Then he goes in verse 33. Why trim you your way to seek love? And this idea is, why do you make yourself beautiful? <laughs> it's, pretty, it's an old term, but why are you making yourself beautiful to seek love? And again, remember, his whole target up until this point is Israel and Judah have been playing the harlot with other gods and, and from God. So he's saying, why are you playing the harlot, basically? Why are you getting dressed up and painted up and, and trying to make yourself look good for these gods who aren't gods? <laughs> now, it's kind of very, the language in here is very hard, hard hitting when you dig down into it. Uh, God is making quite an accusation to the people. Uh, Wherefore have you taught the wicked ones your way? Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. Israel and Judah are God's people. They are supposed to be righteous, and yet, what are they teaching? They're supposed to be teaching the wicked how to be godly, but they are teaching the wicked in a way that they are more wicked than the wicked. That is a sad place to be when you're supposed to be a follower of God, and you are justifying your wickedness and making it look worse. And this is the problem when we as Christians try to justify our evil ways when we're having an evil way. We are actually being worse than the wicked who are just saying, I'm going to do what I want to do for the, you know, because that's who I am and that's what I'm doing. And we're not following God. We're in the middle. Jesus, when he was talking in Revelation, said, I'd rather you be hot or cold but not this lukewarm, not this middle thing trying to justify yourself. And I understand that. If you want to be a sinner, be a sinner. And say, I am just going to be a sinner, and I'm going to enjoy being a sinner. I'm not following God, and, and I don't care about following God, and be that. Or be a follower of God. But not this in-between. <laughs> oh, well, you know, God, God, God is okay with what I'm doing. He'll understand. You know, he'll give me grace. <laughs> God wants followers or those rejecting him. He doesn't want to have that middle, that middle ground. We will not be perfect in our lifetime. None of us will be. We should get better and better as time goes on, but we will never be perfect because the flesh is always there to drag us down. 
Now, the less we feed our flesh and the more we feed our spirit, the better we will become and the more obedient we will become. But we still have problems. We have the lust of the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to have to deal with. We have lots of internal problems to deal with. The things we see, the things we want, and just, I want to do what's best for me. Pride of life. You know, what's best for what, or what I think is best for me. What, what is actually best for me is to surrender totally to God, but that's not how the flesh looks at it. The flesh looks at what is best, what do I think is best, what, what is going to make me feel good. And that's not how God works. But we have internally three things that give us problems. And then Satan likes to help us out with those areas. He'll put just what we need to see in front of us to be to lust after. And it doesn't necessarily mean another person. It could mean the money, a job, uh, opportunities, uh, the, you know, so the lust of the flesh and that desires that we have inside and the pride of life. We have all of that and Satan knows how to work those three real well. And we don't need him to fall into sin anyway. We would, we would sin no matter what. But he was in there to, to shake things up. And God is saying, you are crucified. Your flesh needs to be crucified. And that's the only way we can get past the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is for the flesh to be crucified. The only problem is the flesh does not like to be crucified. It, it wiggles away and tries to get off that cross as it's trying to be crucified. And unfortunately, oftentimes, we help it off. Uh, you know, because we don't want that pain. It hurts sometimes when God is working in us. And how many times do we shy away from the work of God? You know, uh, God, you asked me to do this? Uh-uh, that, that's scary. I don't want to do that. You want me to do what? No, uh that hurt. <laughs> you want me to tell them I'm sorry? I didn't do anything wrong. I want you to tell them you're sorry. God, it was their fault. I want you to tell them they're sorry. God, that's going to hurt. Yes, I know. Go tell them you're sorry. Uh, you know, and that's just one area. And God tells us all kinds of things. And, it, and we look at it and say, God, this is... You know, are you sure this is from you? This, this hurts. This is hard. Walking the Christian life is not an easy thing to do because it goes against every bit of who we are in our flesh. Now, the more we surrender to God, the easier it gets. But that takes time to learn how to surrender and just give up our desires. And unfortunately, even after 50 years, I'm not even close to it. I wish I could say I was close to it, but I'm not. I'm better than I used to be. And many of you are better than you used to be in the time that I've known you, at least what I see. <laughs> but this is what he's saying. You know, why are you making yourself look for, and why are you teaching the wicked ones your ways instead of God's ways? He goes, also in your skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. So he's talking about on the borders of their garment, he's finding blood, the abuse of the, the poor. And he goes, and I didn't even have to go search it out. I didn't have to hire a private investigator to go find you. I didn't have to go deeply searching out. He goes, it, it was obvious. And you know, it's, it's kind of reminds me of, I remember one time we came home, the, 
The kids had eaten all the chocolate chip cookies, and we go, who ate the cookies? Not me, not me, said all of them with chocolate all over their face. Now, didn't have to look hard <laughs> to figure out who ate the cookies. <laughs> this is the kind of thing he's talking about. It's obvious. You know, God's saying, it's obvious. I didn't even have to do any investigation, and I found the blood of the poor that you had harmed all over all over the skirts of your clothing, your, the hems of your clothing. This is quite a con condemnation <laughs> of the people. Uh, and then he goes in verse 35, Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn away from me. Again, go back to my kids saying, we didn't eat the cookies. How many times do we, as people, do this to God? Not me, God. I didn't do it. I'm not. I'm innocent. I I have not violated your 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 principles. Oh yeah, I got that divorce, but that that was because you know she caused it. I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with it. You know. Yeah, I didn't do any. I didn't do a lot of work at at the job, but nobody else was either. So I'm innocent. I'm no I'm no worse than anybody else. This is what he's talking about. I'm I'm declaring that I'm innocent, justifying what I do. And here's God saying, you're doing that. And he says, behold, I will plead with you because you say, I have not sinned. So he said, I'm going to plead with God because I'm innocent. I don't know why I'm getting all this judgment and all these problems in my life. I'm an innocent person. That's a sin already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're already sinning at that point, yes. But, but, you know, it's going, hey, I haven't done anything. I don't deserve all this stuff that's going on in my life because... I am innocent. And this was the problem that Job and his friends you know, had with him. You know, Job, as you read through this, we find out that Job wasn't as innocent as he thought he was, even though by his sacrifice and God's grace and mercy, God had said he's a perfect and upright man that hates evil. At the same time, when God starts speaking to him, he says, who are you to be taking this attitude with me? You know, you're forgetting my grace and making it self-righteousness. And we've got to be very careful about stepping into self-righteous attitude. There but for the grace of God go I. We could, be, we could all be in the worst sinners in this world if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy keeping us from wherever it is. Now some, some of us have actually been down in the pit and come out of it. But none of us have really been in the bottom of that pit. All of us could have been worse than we were. Or at least most <laughs> could be worse than they, than they were. And, you know, God is saying, don't say that I have, that I have not sinned. You know, uh, in First John, we're told, if we say we have not sinned, we're a liar. <laughs> and the truth is not in us. We have all sinned. And this takes us to how does God see sin? Now, we as human beings, we see sin as, well, this is just a little sin. I, I just barely bent the, bent the truth. I didn't quite break it. It was just a little white lie. And then we go up to, you know, well, I've never murdered anybody. I don't know if there's anything worse than murder than in most people's minds. But, you know, we have this grading, grading, of, grading of sins. This is a little sin. This is a... This is a 
You know, these little sins are kind of okay. God will really understand them. These ones are starting to get a little bit uh, hard. And these are the really big ones. Don't do these ones. The only problem is, God says, any sin separates us from him. That little sin, the one that we didn't think was any significant, says, God says, that is enough to keep you out of his presence. Now, there's nobody who's had just one little sins in their lifetime. But he says, do we have the right attitude towards sin? Now, when I say this, do, do I mean that the consequences for every sin is the same? No, there are greater consequences for those, you know, what we might call big sins have greater consequences in this lifetime. All right. If I go out and I just tell a lie to somebody, that is not going to be as bad as if I went out and, and shot them. There's greater consequences in this lifetime, whether it's from the government or just from consequences for the, for the bigger sins. But from God's perspective, everything is equal at the foot of the cross. A sin will keep you from his presence. Whether it's a little white lie to kill, going out and killing somebody. You know, they all keep me from God's presence. Now, the like I said, consequences are different. So I'm not saying they're all the same as far as, you know, well, because people will go, well, well, if they're all the same, then I'll just go and kill people because it's no big deal. No, the consequences for murder is a lot bigger than telling a lie. The consequences for adultery are a lot bigger than, than stealing something. You know, but none of them, you know, are any bigger as far as keeping you from God's presence. And Jesus died for all sin. And this is the important thing for us as Christians. When we are in Christ, he has forgiven any and every sin that we have committed. And that doesn't matter how bad you are, because I, I actually worked with somebody and they're going, well, I don't believe what you say about God being able to forgive sins, because if Hitler could go to heaven, then I don't want to be there. I go, well, fine, then you can go to hell with all the rest of them that were like Hitler. And Hitler's probably in hell, but you know, we were on the conversation, though, could God forgive Hitler? Yes, God could have forgiven Hitler. If Hitler, moments before he turned the gun on him and said, God, I'm, I give my life to you, then he's in heaven. I don't believe he's there, but he could have if he had just confessed his, confessed his sin and need for Jesus. God will forgive anybody when they turn to him and repent and confess their sins and turn and ask Jesus into their heart. Anybody. And that's hard for people to grab hold of. You know, how can somebody who is so evil be forgiven by God? But it's because we don't understand that our sins are just as evil before God as their sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin. So ultimately, the only sin that is out there left before God is to reject Jesus, not be clothed in his righteousness. That's the unforgivable sin, to reject him. If you re die having rejected him, you're going to hell. You've accepted him and totally accepted him, you're going to go to heaven. Because it's nothing that we do, it's all him, all his grace. And this is this whole thing. He goes, you say to me, I have not sinned. <laughs> And these are the people of Judah. They're getting ready to be judged and sent into captivity. And they're still saying, God, we haven't sinned. We're, we're, going, to the, we're going to the temple every Sabbath and we're offering our sacrifices. 
don't mean anything to us, but we're going to the temple and offering the sacrifices. And the other six days of the week, we're going out there and worshiping the, the gods of our choice. And then we come to the temple and worship you. No problem there. And God is saying, yeah, there's a big problem there. Uh, why gaddest you about so much to change your way? And gadding is an old word. It means to wander randomly. All right. We, we kind of use the same term, you know, my mom and used to say, you're a gadabout, or my grandmother used to say, you're a gadabout, wanderer, running, running around. He goes, why are you wandering randomly to change your way? God had put them on a way that was to honor him. And they're wandering all over the place, wandering spirits, trying to find out who they are, what, they're, what they need. And the one thing about this, and it's been said over and over, if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to, you can, wherever you get to is where you were trying to get to. All right? Uh, and that's true. God has a destination for it. It's heaven. He puts us on a road, the straight and narrow path of, of his righteousness. And if we start wandering all over the place, we're never going to get to heaven because we are way over here and way over there. And, uh, you know, and people go, well, you know, and I love it when people say, well, always, you know, get to heaven. I'm going, no, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I go, you know, why don't you just go to the airport and just randomly get on an airplane and say that you're going to Washington, D.C. And you just randomly get on any airplane. And you're absolutely sure you're going to get to Washington, D.C. as you end up in the Philippines. Uh, you know, you're, you're just randomly getting on an airplane is not going to get you where you want to go. And that falls apart because you might luckily get the right airplane, but, you know, so you can see how that would fall apart. But, you know, randomly picking, you go to, to Vegas or to Phoenix, and you just randomly get on one of the hundreds of airplanes that are out there, you're probably not going to get to where, you, where you're hoping to go to just by randomly picking an airplane. Now, of course, you can't get on a random airplane, obviously, but... But you understand what we're saying here. You know, they're wandering, they're doing what they want, and saying, "Ah, we'll get to, we'll get there, we'll get, we'll get to, we'll get to heaven. We'll get, we'll, we'll wander around and get, get where God wants us to be." Very important for us to stay focused on Him. Where is it that He wants us to be? And He says, "You are also shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria." So here He's talking about the history that they're in right now. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had asked Assyria for help against Babylon. The northern kingdom didn't get the help because Babylon turned away from them and, and destroyed the Assyrians and then came after the northern kingdom and took them. Into, uh, took them. Uh, so they weren't able to help. So then they decided, okay, Assyria couldn't help. Let's send our money and, our, and plea for help to Egypt. And historically, Egypt started coming up. Nebuchadnezzar stopped attacking Jerusalem, went out, wiped out the Egyptians, and then came back and, and besieged Jerusalem again. And this is what he's saying. You thought Assyria would take care of you. They were not good enough. You think Egypt is going to take care of you. They're not going to be. You're going to be disappointed. What do we, what is a lot of this again? We want to go back to in the Old Testament, especially, but even in the New Testament, Egypt oftentimes is a representation of the world. Going back into the old way of doing things. 
all through the Exodus period of time, the Israelites kept saying, we want to go back to Egypt where we had, you know, whatever it was they wanted to name that day. We had leeks and onions for, for our meals every day. We were also slaves, but we, we were fed real well. I guess if leeks and onions are being fed real well, that's, uh, uh, you know, we want to go back to Egypt where? And, you know, they kept going, this is hard life out here. We want to go back. You know, we were slaves back there, but, you know, there were a handful of things that were okay. How many times do we as Christians want to go back to the world's way of doing things? Because life gets a little hard following God. And we're going, well, God, it's really hard. I want to go back to the old way. Life was easy back there. I had an empty life. I was enslaved, enslaved to, the, to all these things, but it was easy. And it is easy to be in the lost world. You're not happy. You're not happy. You're not, you're not at peace. You're not at joy. But you're also not being challenged by Satan every time you turn around and, and everything. As a Christian, we have peace that passes understanding. God is in us. He's given us joy, the unspeakable. And yet, a hard time because we are at odds with the rest of the world. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I would rather have peace and joy and be at odds with the world than to not have peace and joy and have no problems with the world. Oh, yeah, you say, okay, no problem. You, you, not, you, know, you go do, you do whatever you want. You know, you'll be okay. This is the hard thing for us as Christians. We are citizens of another world, another country, namely heaven. We are ambassadors. We represent Christ and God's kingdom in this world. We are not to live like this world. We are to show them how citizens of heaven are supposed to live. The only problem is when we show them how citizens of heaven live, they don't like what they see. Well, technically, many of them do, but they just don't want to accept it. And because it makes them feel guilty about where they're at, they will attack us. Because we are the nearest target. And we say this is God's standards, they will attack us because they don't like the idea that there's a standard out there to live by. And we're going to see, are you honest in your belief? They're looking on one side, they want you to stand firm so that they go, okay, there is something worth standing for. The disciples all said that Jesus rose from the dead and was alive. They all died taking that stance. How many of us take that stance all the time? How many of us will say, this is what God says? Now we can do it in a nice, kind way, we don't have to be obnoxious about it. Uh, when I'm asked, I will take a stand. I'll say, this is what God says. And that's, all I'll, that's about as far as I go. I'm not going to go, well, you're, you're a stinking, dirty, rotten sinner because you're doing this. God calls it sin. If you're, you know, well, you can't be judging me. I'm not judging me. I'm telling you what God says it is. It's not my problem what you do or don't do. This is what God says. And we just leave it at that. 
Because one of the problems we're going to have is our job is not to convince everybody that they're really, really, really bad and, and sinning in all kinds of areas. Because they know they're a sinner. It's not hard to show somebody there's a, that they're a sinner. Every single person that walks on this earth has lied at least once in their life. Probably lied once a week. All right? Every single person in this, that's walked in this world has had a lustful thought whether it's for a person or something, they've had a lustful thought. When you take it to the point that Jesus went to, you know, if you're angry at a brother without cause, you've, mur you've committed murder. Every one of us in this world have, have committed murder in that, by that definition. It is not hard <laughs> to prove to people that they're a sinner. You don't have to pick the thing that they don't believe is a sin. Because everybody knows it's wrong to lie. Now, they may be a liar. They may be pathological in their lying. They may be so practiced at lying that they don't even realize they're lying, but they know that it's wrong to lie deep down. Now, they may not believe that these half-truths and everything are lies because they're half-truths. <laughs> but a half, a half a truth is also half a lie, which makes it a whole lie as far as God's concerned. So they all understand there's problems. All we have to do is convince them that they're not perfect. And so we just find out where they're going to admit that they're not perfect and say, God says that one sin is all it takes to keep you separate from him. And this is important. You know, more people than often have asked me quite a few times, well, how do I tell somebody that they're living together is, is a sin? Don't worry about it. Find something that they'll know is a sin and then let the Holy Spirit deal with it. How can I let this person know that homosexuality is a sin? It doesn't matter. Find, you know, get them convinced that they're, they have other sins and then they can get saved and God will convict them of their sin. You know, I can tell them all day long that this is a sin, but they're not going to necessarily believe it until the Holy Spirit steps into their life and convicts them. And it really ultimately doesn't matter. My job isn't to convict them of a particular sin. My job is to teach them that they are a sinner that will be judged by God and not pick on something that they don't understand is a sin and just let God work in them. Once they're saved, now the Holy Spirit lives into them, lives in them, and they will start realizing that their life has problems and they need to correct their, their life. Just as we do as Christians. Every once in a while, you get, you're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden God says, you've got to get this out of your life. Uh, God, I didn't realize that was a problem. He goes, what? I'm showing you that it's a problem now. Get it out. And I don't know how often that happens to you all, but it seems to happen to me a whole lot. I'm reading through the Bible. Even after 50 years, I'm going, okay, I've read this 100 times. What? That's a problem. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, you, want, you, you want me to do what? God, that, that has to come out of my life? I've been doing it all my life, all 60 years of my life I've been doing it. And you want me to get rid of, rid of that now? And he goes, yes. He can do the same thing for those lost people if, they, if we just get them to get saved in the first place. Then the Holy Spirit can come in and work on them and help them change. And this is the important thing that we want to look at. And then he goes, you know, Yea, you shall go forth from him in your hands with your, and your hands upon your head, for the Lord hath rejected your confidence, and you shall not prosper with them. 
So this idea of hands on your head, they're in surrender. You know, if you watch a lot of different shows and stuff, you'll see them with their hands on their head. You know, my hands are empty. I'm not able to go to, ba go to battle. He's going, you've been taken as a captive. And this is what he's pointing out there. You shall go forth from him, the Assyrians and the Egyptians, with your hands on your head, captive. Uh, you know, pretty strong statement here. You're going to depend on them. They're going to fail you, and you are going to be taken as a captive. And this is something that's very important for us. Before we are saved, we are captives, POWs, whatever term you want to use, to sin. We are enslaved to sin. And when we sin, we are doing just what comes naturally in the flesh. And God says, I want to deliver you. And one of the things I want you to notice as we go through this in various books that I've, you know, the Bible, how many times does God say, I will deliver, I will change, I will make you? I want you to start kind of paying attention to those words as you're reading through that God says, He is the one that does the work. He doesn't call us to make the changes in our, in our flesh. He says, all we do is come to him in that surrendered point of view, repent, turn back to him, and he will make it. He will give us the new heart of flesh. He will give us the new life. He will deliver. He will save. And all through the scriptures, we will see God saying, I will do this. I will make this happen. And so many times we as Christians try to strive to make our life better. If I just work hard enough, if I just do enough, God will be happy with me and I will make my life perfect. What does that boil down to? Self-righteousness. Is anytime we start getting this word I into my vocabulary, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to, I'm going to clean up my life. We're in trouble. Because at the very least, we're getting into self-righteousness and trying to empower myself to be number one. And God is saying, just give up. Let me do the work. Let me make the change. And it's critical for us to say, God, I want you to be the one that does this. I want you to be my deliverer. I want you to help me out with this. And this is what God says over and over. And, and just, just challenge you as you kind of make note of this. How many times is in, I don't care what book you're in, you probably find it in just about every chapter of the books where God says, I will deliver. I will make you pure. I will, you know, you know God says, I will do this. I will make, you know, over and over again. He is the one that gives us the power and the strength to get through something. And any other thing is, you know, oh, God, look at me. You know, you're so lucky you have me, God. I, I got all this stuff out of my life, and, you know, I'm, I'm super saint, and, you know, you're, you're lucky that, that, I'm, that I'm in your corner, God. And I can almost hear, hear God laughing. He goes, you're not, you're not uh, you know, you're a little peewee in the, in the super, super welter, super heavyweight division and you're and you belong in the in the peewee division not even the welterweight but the peewee division he goes you're nothing <laughs> and then he will make sure that we know that we're nothing if we really take that attitude and we're his child
He's going to say, let me show you what you really are. What, what value do you have to the kingdom? And this is the problem. When we stand at the beam of seat of Christ, all the works that we have done will be cast into the fire. Wood, hay, and stubble are going to burn up. That is everything that I do in my own strength. You know, and we look at that because wood is fairly substantial. We make things out of, out of wood. We make houses. We make furniture, all kinds of stuff out of wood. It is substantial, but it burns up because it was my job. Hay is not bad either. At least it feeds animals and made, made bricks back in those days. Stubble, not worth a whole lot. <laughs> you know, it gets blown away. It's, and most of what we do is stubble. Some of what we do in our own strength may be hay. Some people get some good out of it. Some of it could be, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I feel even for my teaching, some of my teachings probably would. You all get something out of it, but it's me who did it, and it burns up. And then there's gold, silver, and gems, the things that God does through us. And he says, these will last. These are going to be your rewards into eternity. And God says, I'm the one that did it through you, and you get to be rewarded for what you let me do through you. We just learn to surrender. Does that mean I do nothing? No. I do a lot of studying to get ready for these, these, these uh, messages. I write all over my Bible and notes all over the place. I do a lot of study. But it's not necessarily me who is doing the teaching when I come out. God, I've got all this stuff in it. You tell me what to, what to give. And one of the things I've had to teach people over the years as, as teachers, one, you know, I can really think of one person recently, they would study 10 to 20 hours a week and then try to dump all the 10 to 20 hours of, of what they studied on the people in one hour or 30 minutes. You can't do that. I study a lot, but there's, most of the study is for me. Most of the study goes to me, and a very small bit of what I, <laughs> I study goes to other people. Because I need the teaching as much as anybody else. I need to be taught, and the Holy Spirit teaches me directly, and only a small portion of what he teaches me gets out to you all. <laughs> because you know, that is what it is. That is being prepared. That is understanding. When you're going out and witnessing, you need to study. You need to know things to really be good at witnessing. Now, what is the most important thing to witness? Your testimony. And you go, well, I'm, I don't know about my testimony. Well, what is a testimony? If you're called to be a witness in a court, you tell them what you know. You may not know much. I was standing on the corner, and I heard this crash over there, and I looked, and this guy jumped out of the car and, and ran down the street. That may be all you know about that event, but that is your testimony. What is your testimony for God? I was a sinner, and I finally realized that I was... I, I needed Christ, and I turned to him, and he came into my life, and life has been changed since then. Fill in the blanks with your life. <laughs> All right? I remember when I got saved. I finally recognized I was a sinner. I'd been going to church for four years before that. And then one day it became obvious to me that I was a sinner, and I needed Jesus. He came in and changed my life. And then put a love for his word into my life and, and brought me into study and, and then eventually brought me into being a pastor. Has my life been perfect all those years? Oh, no. 
I've even had my backsliding time when I told you all, when I just kind of walked away from the church because, you know, long story, but got, got into workaholism, started not going to church, missing church. Nobody called me, so I started blaming the church. It's still my fault, but I blamed the church. Nobody called me. Nobody bothered to let me know that I was missed and ended up coming back. And very interestingly, my, my son, who is the least following God right now, was the one that brought me back to church. He just came up one day and said, Dad, can we go to church tomorrow? And I'm thinking, well, we have no reason not to go to church. I have no reason not to go to church. We've been going back to church ever since. Just a little statement. Can we go back to church? He missed it. Yeah, been two years, he missed going to church. So we just started going back to church. And God reinstated us back where we were, just as he did by his grace. What is your testimony? Are you able to tell your testimony to people about what led up to your salvation, what changed in when you got saved, and how God has been ministering to you since? It's very important to be able to give that testimony to people. Because the one thing they can't argue with is your story. It's your story. Well, I don't believe you. It doesn't matter whether you believe me or not. It was my story. I lived it. Uh, Adrian Rogers was saying the other day, you know, you know, if you had just eaten a delicious apple pie and somebody was trying to convince you there's no such thing as apple pie, you're not going to believe them because you just ate the apple pie and it was delicious. You know, and, you know, your testimony is your testimony. Learn to be able to tell people what God has done for you. How has he stepped into your life and made a difference? Let people know that. What was the apostles' story over and over again? We walked with Jesus. We saw him. We saw him die. We saw him raise again. And we, gave, we know the power he gave us at Pentecost. And now we're sharing this with you. And it didn't matter whether people believed them or argued with them and said, no, you're, you're hallucinating, you're, you're insane. They go, no, we know what we have experienced. doesn't matter whether you agree or not. We know what, what, is, what is true and what has happened. Learn your testimony and be able to express it to other people. This is what God has done for me. Now, I can expand on my testimony a lot more, but I've also able to get it down to people in 30 seconds to a minute, tell them my story. Learn to be able to shorten that down to a place where I can, you can give your testimony to somebody in just a few, few, few words and plant that seed. If they want to know more, tell them the rest of your story. It does, you know, one of the things I do want to encourage on the testimony is look at what has happened since you got saved. Too many people spend all their time on their testimony leading up to the time they get saved. Now, you have to give enough of your, your previous life to know that you are a sinner and, and have problems. But after you're saved, how has your life been changed? Because that's where the power comes. This is what people need to know. Life changes when Christ comes in and turns around to become something worth living and give them that challenge that they need Jesus for the same reason. One of my problems with most testimonies is they'll give you a five-minute testimony, four minutes of how bad they were, they got saved, and, and a, about a half a minute of how good God is. And it's like, uh, let's change that a little bit. Let's go a 
you know, 30 seconds to a minute of how bad you were, God changed you. And what has happened since then? <laughs> how has God changed your life and made you a new creation? You know, and I understand the need for the downside. You know, I was whatever. <laughs> I was an angry person, always fighting, which was my case. I was an angry kid, always fighting, always in trouble, always, always getting, you know, uh, going after people. And then I got saved, and God took my temper away, and then changed me in many other ways over the years. You know, what is your testimony? How how does people how do people respond? Each one of us has a testimony that will reach somebody. You know, my testimony can touch the people that have anger issue problems. That God can change that. Some people it might be well, I was a total alcoholic down and down. You know barely able to keep my job or my family or didn't keep my job and my family, whatever it might be. I was into drugs. I was in, you know, I was in the gang. I was violent. I stole, you know, whatever the testimony is will reach somebody because God comes in and changes that lifestyle. And it's important for us to be able to say, this is what happened and this is what God did. And we need to be able to say as a witness, this is what I know. Now, you can, as you go along, you'll get to know how to answer their questions and answer their issues. And as I've said many times, the best thing that can happen to you is they ask you a question you don't know the answer to. That is what people, keeps people from witnessing. They may ask me something that I don't know. And I go, that is wonderful because the answer is real simple. I don't know that. I don't know how to answer that. Let me, I'm going to go find out that answer. Can we meet again? Tomorrow, next week, whatever, whatever's convenient. You know, now you get two shots of being able to tell them the gospel. And how would I start out? I'd probably tell them my testimony again and then answer their question. And I'm going to hope they ask me something I don't know the answer to. So then I get to have a third time to talk to them about the gospel message. So the very thing that we're usually afraid of is the best thing that can happen to us if we treat it with the right answer. You know what, that is a very good question. I don't know the answer to that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go find the answer. I'm gonna go talk to the pastor. I'm gonna, tell, I'm gonna read the Bible. I'm gonna talk to God, but I'm gonna find you the answer. And can we talk again next week or tomorrow or whatever's convenient to that, for that person and, and you getting the answer. <laughs> so take what you're totally afraid of and use it to your advantage. And be ready for this. Be ready to share with people the good news. Because where is their confidence in? Is there confidence in God or is there confidence in the flesh? The lost world has a confidence in flesh. Unfortunately, too many Christians have the confidence in the flesh rather than God. And we need to be putting all of our confidence in God and letting him be the one that changes us. He has, he has the plan. He has the ideas that he wants us to follow. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to go with us as we go about our business. Help us in, in all that's happening in the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. Teach us to be able to share you with others. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. 
We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.